Hello, welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, a podcast for the movies that you've seen a thousand times and the silly and serious conversations they start. I am your host, Katie. And I'm your other host, Kate. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, we are dropping this up. We're not recording this episode, but we are dropping this episode on Christmas Day. So you're all welcome. It's a bit better than coal in your stocking, I think. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, if you're listening to this on the day that it drops, it is Christmas. Also, speaking of coal in your stocking, I got into a conversation at breakfast over the weekend and we were like, wouldn't coal in your stocking, like in the olden days, be a good thing? wasn't coal like a hot commodity no pun intended (laughs) yeah you would think right i mean uh in in muppet christmas carol which we've covered on the podcast before Scrooge at the very end is shown given little uh buckets of coal to all his employees with big things on it yeah so you would want to be bad so you could get lots of coal either that or maybe it was more a modern invention where it's like remember the days where we used to give you coal Well, we'll go back to that yeah, maybe that's what you'll get. I guess, I guess either way, maybe coal doesn't sound very good to children. Yeah, kind of boring to kids. But then again, we're also talking about a generation that like an orange in their stocking was a big deal. Oh, yeah. I remember when I first learned through watching the movie Little Women that like fruit was a hot hot commodity what do i not have other phrases it's early (laughs) that they were like candy yeah yeah they didn't get fruit like that very much but i i learned that from little house on the prairie the movie where they also got peppermint sticks because their neighbor braves the snow and comes in and he looks like santa claus because the snow's all in his beard i loved that movie as a kid (laughs) (laughs) i i've only seen one episode of little house on the prairie ever and it was the most fucked up episode especially never having seen the show Mm, mm -hmm. and i was like and then for years i was like was it the one where mary goes blind no (sighs) it was more fucked up than that that. one that one messed me up no no no. where mary wakes up and she can't see yeah that like freaked me out that's scary Mm mm-hmm no, no, no. It was even more fucked up than that. And like for years, I was like, wait, did I actually see this or did I make it up in my head? And then I saw like a BuzzFeed listicle that was like the most crazy episodes of like older television shows. And it was on that list. And I was like, OK, so it did happen. Yeah. So what what was the... Which one, which episode was it? Because I could think of a lot that would count. So I don't know any of the characters' names. So I'm just, this is going to be very vague. But essentially, is there like a boy, like a brother? Eventually there was. And Maybe. I think Jason Bateman was in it. Oh, wild. But anyways. Yes, so- they, did have, they did have a brother, but I believe he was adopted at that point. It was one of those okay. things where the kids were getting too old, so they needed to bring in a new kid. Mm. Well, I think this would have been like an old anyways uh, they 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 like befriend a girl who was like raped oh yeah they had a lot of very special episodes like that yeah and i was like and you know she was obviously like very traumatized and like i i i feel like i remember there being like a male character who liked her but maybe i'm misremembering that totally but i was just like wow i did not know that shows like this went there (laughs) yeah well they had that one they had another episode where there was a little black boy that had ended up in the town and i don't remember the conditions but the scene is really famous because he he's 
quite young and he's in the schoolhouse and he writes a paper about how he wished he was he wished he wasn't black oh and i think he was being taken care of by the ingles family and again this is like the 70s 80s that they were making this show and it was another one of those very special episodes where the showrunners wanted to make a specific point about racism yeah and so they took this show that a whole bunch of people were watching it was not you know it was not considered specifically uh you know a show for progressive people <laughs> um yeah uh, it was not like sense. all in the family right um but like they took this and they they used this as a you know they used the opportunity so yeah there's a whole bunch of episodes i believe there's another one where like some little girl like gets pushed off the roof or something i don't know it was there are some wild episodes of that show but i was talking about the movie the actual movie before uh, the show was like one of my favorite things to watch as a kid gotcha i i i didn't know the timeline for when the show happened and the movie happened I mean, it was still michael landon who played paw um i think i think the whole cast came back for the television show but they had to switch out one of the kids at one point it's a it's a fantastic show it's great for a cozy winter's day when you have nothing else to do <laughs> <laughs> i may i might see if it's on hulu so i can binge watch this thing like let me go check that right now <laughs> <laughs> the the very special episode i feel like that like very special episodes aren't things that happen in television anymore because we don't have those like 24 episode seasons yeah yeah where, in fact it turns into like a full season of very special episodes like ted lasso season three <laughs> i my favorite um do you ever watch saved by the bell i remember watching a few episodes bridget watched more than i did because it wasn't really rerunning when i was that age but it was mm. rerunning when she was that age oh that's funny they must have done it when i was that age and then paused and then picked it back yeah up. <laughs> they're like well no one wants to watch this oh by the way little house on the prairie entire series is streaming for free on amazon prime amazing I know what um, I'm putting on this afternoon. <laughs> all those little house, little housers, farriers. I don't know what you call the family. If you want to go watch some <laughs> wild ass television from the mid 70s. I should go try to find that episode. Um, but no, I, uh, Say by the Bell. I've seen every episode multiple times. Like I fucking know that show. It's I love it. It's pure wonderfulness for me. But one of the first very special episodes that they did on that show was I think one of the famous ones that everyone kind of knows regardless of if you watch the show or not was the one where Jesse gets addicted to caffeine pills oh yeah she she has her I'm so excited yeah I'm so excited I'm so scared and I remember watching like a behind the scenes um thing about Saved by the Bell and they were like, okay, we're going to do this episode that's like dramatic and whatever. And then after that, the studio was like, we're never doing any dramatic special episodes ever again. <laughs> but that didn't stick. They did do other special episodes. But yeah, fun fact. And anyways, I'm going to swing it around to the topic of the day. A very special Christmas movie. A very special Christmas movie. One that we've sort of brought up a few times throughout this Christmas movie podcast season. I was like, we have to, we have to finish up the season 
and the year talking about this movie. It is, in my opinion, one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, Die Hard. (laughs) And, you know, I rewatched it yesterday and I had a notebook going of all the reasons it is a Christmas movie, despite what Bruce Willis says. It is a Christmas movie. Oh, I didn't know Bruce Willis said it's not a Christmas movie. He was doing some kind of roast and he got up to the the podium to do his speech. And he was like, I want to just put one thing to bed right now. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. And I'm just like, uh, like, hell it is. Like, here's the list. Oh, that doesn't count. It's at a roast. You can't. That's just, you know, full of jokes and silliness. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, Die Hard. Uh, I love this movie because, well, one, it's an action movie. Two, it's so good. Like, it's the script is amazing. And three, it stars my ultimate number one forever celebrity crush, Alan Rickman. And it was his first movie, too. It was his first movie, guys. So, you know, all those, like, artistic dreamers out there if you're like oh my god I'm getting too old and I have not succeeded in being successful at my art or the way that I want to be just think of Alan Rickman Mm -hmm. he he started late he was like in his 40s when he was in this movie I believe and I think so I think you're right I mean you've been doing stage before that yeah But he wasn't like, you know, famous, making a living necessarily through acting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah. And then had a wonderful, fruitful career. Mm -hmm. That ended Um, too soon. Yeah. I will. I will always have regrets of there was one time. What was it? 2011, 2010, somewhere around there, maybe give or take one or two years where he was in New York for a play. And I don't remember what play it was. And I was like I should I was I should take a trip to New York like as cheap as I possibly can go to this play stage toward the play so I can maybe try to meet him and I didn't do it and I I guess I will always have that regret that like I didn't take that chance Mm -hmm. I was like also in college and incredibly poor I had about zero (laughs) money it would have so. been a great plot line for like a not a teen drama, but a college drama or a college comedy. Yeah. Searching for Rickman. <laughs> oh my gosh. I that you know what? That should be uh the title of my memoir. Yes. But um yeah, I guess let's I was like, where do I even begin? Let's to dive dig in. Into yes. This? Yeah. So, um, Die Hard, the Christmas is a Christmas movie. Uh, it does start on Christmas. I believe it's, is it actually Christmas Eve or is it just the Christmas party? It's Christmas Eve. Wow. That is bold of a company to have a Christmas Eve par- a party on Christmas Eve. But yes, yeah, so John McClane, who's a New York cop, comes to LA to meet up with his estranged wife because they've got two kids and he's coming in for the holiday. He shows up at her office the night of this Christmas party. She works for Nakatomi and they're having their, their fete. And while he's there, I guess not really a terrorist organization because they've sort of been they've been disowned by the the terrorist cell that they were in. But like this group of ne'er do wells comes in and <laughs> plots a heist. Uh, all with for many reasons ne'er do wells. I love that term. Um, they they come in and they they hold up uh, the party. And so John McClane, who is probably the most incredible cop in the world definitely in this movie, uh, ends up uh, fighting barefoot the entire time 
to try to keep them under control after they kill a few people and they make it clear that they're not uh, going to leave quietly. All the while, the very incompetent FBI and LAPD, with the exception of one, uh, Al Powell, Powell, um, are uh, messing everything up outside uh, and making John's job even harder. So that's that's pretty much the plot line, right? Yeah. And I'll use the barefoot thing as an example of how freaking tight this script is and how just like almost everything happens for a reason. You know, so he fights the whole time barefoot, which just kind of makes everything like more difficult for him and a little sillier. But um, well, and it all comes back to that opening scene. The very, yeah. This is why I love, like, I love movie writers who are this meticulous. Though, like, I just read this book called Story Genius, and it's like in a good novel, the first scene echoes the last scene. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't necessarily believe that's true. What's funny about this movie is the first scene is that he's on the airplane and the guy sitting next to him says, oh, well, if you want to survive air travel and feel better after your flight, take your shoes and your socks off and walk on carpet and make fists with your toes. Yeah. And it sounds like the most ridiculous thing. Um, and then the rest of the movie, he's barefoot running on broken glass. Yeah. And- yeah. And that's the reason he's barefoot. And yeah. Um, you know, the whole fact that he's there throws a giant kink in the heist. Um, if he wasn't there, it would have been a very successful heist, I, uh, you know. And there's like, there's other things. There's like, there's a part in the beginning where there's a picture of Holly and John McLean and their children on her desk in her office, which is like where they end up posting up for a while, like the the baddies. And she ends up turning that frame to face like down, like she gets sort of angry with John and then like turns the frame and puts it down on the table so it's not visible, which is like really important later on because for a long time, the baddies don't connect that she's his wife because she's also not using the name McLean, she's using her maiden name, Gennaro. Mm-hmm. So like even her like office and everything says like, you know, Holly Gennaro. But yeah, really, really tight script. It's one of those movies where every time you watch it, you notice something different. Yeah, absolutely. I So one of the things that I picked up, so partially my rewatch this year was to make that list of all the reasons this is a Christmas movie. My mm-hmm. biggest number one thing is the music. So they open up with him saying, don't you have any Christmas music? His limo driver, Argyle, who we have to come back to because I freaking love Argyle. He's my favorite character in the whole movie. He's the greatest. He is awesome. It ends. The last scene has Christmas music. It's a Christmas song at the end. And then throughout the movie, the the score for the movie incorporates Christmas carols. Yeah. And also, I think I might have said this in an earlier episode this month. This wouldn't have happened if it wasn't Christmas Eve because... John McClane wouldn't have been coming in to visit. Yeah, um, he wouldn't have been traveling in. Uh, the Christmas party wouldn't have been happening. And a lot of the gags, like the first person that he kills, he puts in the um, elevator and sends them down to the floor where all the hostages are, where Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, is, is setting up shop. And he writes on the sweater, I now have a machine gun, ho, ho, mm-hmm. ho. So, like, <laughs> which I want to know, where is the Christmas, ugly Christmas sweater that says that? 
Oh, I am sure it exists. Someone has to make one. I've seen the Yippie yeah. Kaye ones, but I've never seen a now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho. Um, but yeah, so all those things. The only thing I can think of that would make this not necessarily a Christmas movie is the fact the studio decided to release it on July 20th, 1988. Very true. But that's more the studio being dumb. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Christmas in July is a a holiday that some people celebrate so i guess i guess well it's like the same thing with hocus pocus they released hocus pocus i believe in july even though it's quite clearly a halloween movie yeah and you know you got to think about too like what else was on the studio schedule because christmas movie is like a big season i, I feel like it's also when you want to stick your really big oscar movies in there because it's really close to oscar time yeah it's a it's a weird combination at this time of year and especially right now i don't know if you've noticed it but like every streaming service has like five christmas movies that they're jamming down our throats like there's the one with eddie murphy on paramount plus i think or peacock there's you know apple came out with spirited last year which uh if you have not watched spirited please do it's so good i do need to see that i haven't seen it yeah i i love that movie i rewatched that <laughs> this year i rarely do that um but like you know like the the streaming services have taken over the christmas movies right now and the theaters are either rerunning old christmas movies like alamo draft house has been doing polar express and elf and a whole bunch of other ones like that or they're putting out you're like you said the oscar contenders those are what's dropping right now oh and eddie murphy's movie is on prime my apologies of course because prime's the only one that could afford eddie murphy <laughs> i mean if netflix didn't throw all their money at bridgerton and stranger things although i'm not going to complain about either of those things because i love <laughs> both of those shows hey and actually i gotta say if you're talking about stuff on netflix right now may december is worth the watch oh i need to see that movie if you guys haven't heard of that movie you should go watch the trailer it stars natalie portman and Julianne Moore and from Riverdale. Ooh, blanket on the name. Sorry if Hannah. If oh, Charles Melton. Charles Melton. Hannah's going to be so pissed. I know. I was like, sorry, <laughs> Hannah, if you're listening to this. Um, our friend Hannah loves Charles Melton. But I, so I'll say right up front, this isn't like a movie that you would normally look at and be like, that's a Katie movie. I'm not big on watching dramas. I'm not big on watching a lot of like Oscar bait movies, I'll call them. But this movie is sort of about the Mary Kay Letourneau case, which <laughs> I remember really well from the 90s, because I think I was just old enough when that was happening to sort of like know mm -hmm. and sort of understand how fucked up that was. But I also as an adult and like a true crime person, like I'm sort of it's it's one of those cases that I became very interested in and studied a lot. And it's essentially about that. But it's like Natalie Portman plays an actress who is playing the role of Julianne Moore, who is the Mary Kay character in the movie. And I've got lots of thoughts on like why they decided to take that route with it instead of just making a movie about Ace. And anyway, that will be a whole other podcast episode you should watch so we can podcast about this. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I want to see it. I just haven't, you know, I'm a lazy movie watcher. I've said That's this okay. many times. Yeah, you are. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I've um, seen 98 movies I've never seen before this year because I, I have a goal every year of 100 movies I've never seen. And I just saw... Four things, which was number 98. I should keep track next year. I keep saying I'm going to get the podcast on Letterboxd so we can keep track of our movies, um, at least the movies that we podcast about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I 
I should keep track of that more. But speaking of movies, I was just going to say really quick, I've seen a lot of trailers recently for movies coming out in 2024 that I'm very excited for. Same. Uh, Well, movies and TV series, honestly. Every time I think I'm going to get rid of my Prime account, they pull me back in. Fallout (laughs) looks incredible. I cannot wait for that show. That does look really cool. All they had to do was tell me that Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan were involved and I'm in. Yeah. And you and I talked about it. Like neither of us have played the game, but we've just watched the Monster Factory videos. Yeah. With Pam. <laughs> yeah. The the McElroy Monster Factory series. Yep. Um, but anyways, let's swing it back to Die Hard. Back to Die Hard. <laughs> um, oh, and I will make I, I, I remember what I was going to say, and this is Die Hard adjacent. I was going to make another holiday movie recommendation if it's not on anyone's list there is a uh, romantic comedy that came out on netflix last year i believe um starring nina dobrev and jimmy o yang it's called love hard is it a takeoff on day die hard not really but it is sort of like a play up because in the movie their characters nina dobrev's favorite christmas movie is die hard and Jimmy O. Yang's is Love Actually. So it's love hard. That's wonderful. And that actually brings me to another uh, TV, actually not movie, but a TV uh, spoof on Die Hard that I love, which is the Bob's Burgers episode where Gene, the two kids, Gene and uh, Tina are in dueling musicals. One is a musical version of Working Girl. That's what Tina's in. And the other mm-hmm. is Gene's bootleg production of Die Hard the Musical. Oh, yeah, I think I remember seeing that one. And eventually they end up putting the two together. So it's Die Hard Working Girl, I think. Die Hard, comma, Working Girl. And uh, hey, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to bring up, I guess this is sort of right at the beginning of the movie, uh, the Christmas party. It seems like so 80s corporate. Like, maybe it's just the places I've worked for. You know, I've worked in corporate America for about, I don't know, like eight years now, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I started in startups, so I wouldn't really call that corporate America, even though it it's is. It's a whole different beast of a. But it's a different. Party. Yeah. But um, I've been in corporate America for about eight years now. And none of like, I, I've been to some holiday parties where people get like a little drinky drink. But, like, definitely none where anyone is, like, hooking up in, like, offices. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. Yep. Or doing drugs. <laughs> that Yeah, the, the cocaine is so totally 80s, right? I mean. Oh, yeah, that's very 80s. And that, I guess. That's very 80s. The, and I guess the guy who's doing it, um, what's his name? Ellis? Ellis. Yeah. The absolute epitome of 80s yuppie blowhard asshole douchebag yeah um you know he's meant to be a douche so he's doing you know he's shown doing cocaine which okay this is like one of those things where i was like every time you watch it you notice something different it's sort of a really wholesome moment in the movie it's when ellis is uh thinking he's a big boy and he's trying to negotiate with uh hans gruber and you know save the day and he's talking to the bad guys and he says, he says, can I get some Coke? 
And, and they bring him a Coca-Cola. They bring him a Coca-Cola and mm-hmm. he meant, you know, drugs. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I have to credit, um, my wonderful fiance, Kyle, for noticing that like a couple <laughs> of years ago, he was I never thought of that before, but it is so wholesome. They bring him it a is. Coca-Cola. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but yeah, crazy party. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have, I have attended a handful of corporate holiday parties not that any of them got like cocaine and you know hooking up in offices and stuff like that because all of them were off-site uh they were all at restaurants Mm -hmm. they can get they can still get pretty wild in fact i was reading an article earlier this week about how holiday office parties are kind of like they're dwindling uh companies are not spending money on them because most people are remote or just don't care to do it and it's just considered you know an unnecessary expense Mm -hmm. Uh, but that really the people who are rejoicing about this is HR. Yeah, that makes sense. Although I did one year um, at a holiday office party. This isn't at my current job. So if anyone from my current job is listening, we had like our holiday parties and we would have drink tickets. So you were only allowed to have X amount of drinks for free. And then like the rest you had to pay for. And I think we usually got like two each. But this one year, my hr person started just handing me extra tickets i was like all right yeah Yeah. (laughs) she was like here i have six and i was like thanks (laughs) um yeah i mean like we would we would get pretty like drunk and silly but there was definitely no one like ruining marriages or anything (laughs) yeah Yeah, no the um the the holiday party in die hard is definitely 80s but also looks boring as hell like there's not enough food there for me there's not enough food there's only one kind of beverage as far as i can tell maybe two if you count the coke (laughs) (laughs) yeah the coca-cola yeah Uh, I, and yeah, I don't know. It, it just, and like, you know, I, I love Holly is like, okay, you gotta go out and get champagne. Like, she's like talking to the woman who's pregnant. She's like, go out, get yourself a glass of champagne. And the woman's like, do you really think it's a good idea? <laughs> it won't kill you. <laughs> also, I love that lady's hair. Like that's such a forgone hairstyle. Which one, Holly's or the pregnant woman? The pregnant woman. The sort of like very doesn't have a fluffy... name because it's the Bechdel test. Uh this this completely fails. Yeah. That's that's maybe like I guess one point of like, well, she doesn't have a name. Does she have a name? Does she have a name? I'm looking through the IMDB page looking for her. I know. I was just like, I've got this pulled up. Let me see. But yeah, her her sort of like fluffed out like short hair is like it's such a cool hairstyle, but you wouldn't see like anyone have that hairstyle now, like not even ironically. I think her name is Gail. That sounds right. Yeah. She was yeah. also that actress was also in The Goonies as Mrs. Walsh, and she was also in Lethal Weapon 2 and Lethal Weapon 4. Oh. And she was Born in Chicago. And a uh, callback to one of our episodes, she was the diary reading patient in Freaky Friday. Oh, wow. A movie I still haven't seen. <laughs> a movie you still haven't seen. I, I will segue into um, the introduction of our villains because it's one of like the coolest sort of villain introduction scenes ever where um, I think it sort of matches the energy of Sam Rockwell's villain turn in 
Charlie's Angels, where you can just tell he loves his job. (laughs) When the baddies first enter, and it's Theo, who is like the hacker of the group. And Mm -hmm. probably we were doing last time we were watching this, we were like, who's your favorite henchman? And I was like, oh, it's definitely Theo. Um, That man is practically giddy. Yeah, he enters with uh, two of the other guys, very serious German men. Um, I think it's the two brothers, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, they come in through the revolving door. He's just like talking very excitedly about a basketball game. And as he's like talking gleefully about this basketball game, he sort of times his speech to one of the brothers shooting the desk guard right in the head. And he just goes, boom, at the same time, the shot fires off and then just hops over the desk, shoves the dead body out of the way and does what he needs to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, I was like, that man loves his job is also completely despicable because he just like that man just died and he does not give a shit at all. That man was collateral damage. He doesn't care. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um. And he even says, like, at one point to Hans, he's like, well, you didn't hire me for my charming personality. Right. Um, but, yeah, I I love that that entrance. I think it's so, so good. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also, you know, like the brothers, I find it funny that the brothers both look like they should be named Hans. Uh, yeah. Or Carl and Tony. Um, but I, yeah, I think that the other thing I really enjoy about watching this is that the villains, you, I don't want to say I'm rooting for Hans Gruber cause I'm not, mm-hmm. but like he starts off and this is like, I know that we were texting back and forth. There was a really interesting Instagram thing that I saw. They were like, remember the best Christmas movies and Christmas stories are anti-capitalist. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Die hard. And Katie, you you mentioned you were like, well, technically Die Hard's a heist. Yeah, it is. But in rewatching this, like they even open up with saying because of Nakatomi's greed around the world, that's why they're targeting them. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess like if you're a, a thief, you're sort of anti-capitalist. Yeah. 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 But then also, like, I thought it was interesting because they they're kind of switched their game around a little bit. They want the FBI to get involved. And I think to do that, that's when they do the whole thing, like, we're going to keep these people hostage until you release our friends that are imprisoned for, you know, uprisings or terrorist actions around the world. Um, but that was, that was fake. That was like, but that was fake, right? Yeah. So like when you're watching though, it's like, oh, that's why they're doing this. And it's like, oh no, it's fake. I love when like, he mentions, uh, was it the Asian Sun? I think group like nine members of the Asian Sun. And someone looks like one of his henchmen looks at Hans is like, like mouthing like, what? What group's that? And he was like, I, I saw it in time. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just I read about him in time. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that's total misdirection. Like he's, and I if that's like part of the reason why the. LAPD and the FBI are not working well with John McClane, aside from sort of like the, this is my, I'm the boss here, sort of ego posturing, mm-hmm. is like the fact that John McClane knows that they're working with thieves mm-hmm. and they think they're working with terrorists. And yeah, it is sort of a different like mindset of like how you handle the situations, like granted, but I mean- 
the LAPD sucks. Like, sorry if anybody's listening to it, but as a whole, the LAPD has a bad history. Yeah, well, yeah, and if you think about this movie, it came out, what, in 88? So that was even before Rodney King. Yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, so real, real interesting timing that they had already sort of made their reputation enough for this movie to to take this on. But then again, I would say that even worse is the FBI in this movie. <laughs> yeah, the FBI is pretty bad. With the agents Johnson. Uh, I And you want to talk about never noticing something. I never picked up on the line when they're in the helicopter and the older agent Johnson yells, just like being in Saigon. And he's like, he's about to nut over how much fun he's having in this yeah. helicopter. And the other agent Johnson, who's significantly younger, is like, I was in junior high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was good. I I love that. Like, I actually, like, enjoy those two guys because I, those two guys feel like they are a video game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. So... Can we talk for a little bit about how fucking cool Holly Gennaro McLean is? I was thinking the entire time about like just feminist icon. Yeah, absolutely. She is she is cool, calm, and collected through this entire thing. It, like because she essentially becomes the de facto leader who everyone is looking to after her boss gets murdered. Which yeah, even even Hans is like, who made you the leader? And she's like, well, you did when you killed my boss. Yeah. And that always makes me so sad because that man seemed like so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe he wasn't if he's the CEO of like a huge corporation, you know, I'll, like I always say, and I read this somewhere, like CEOs have a little bit of... Um, what is it like are uh not psychopath i can't think of the word like you know they lack empathy <laughs> mm-hmm. in a way um sociopath sociopath thank you yeah that's like a little bit of uh socio- sociopathic tendencies yeah it still makes i'm like oh he he didn't have to die but he does but yeah holly Janera mclean yeah then she becomes a de facto leader And, you know, she knows her husband is, like, fucking these guys up and trying to, like, fight. So she's got, like, that worry on her plate. And she also, like, you know, the this crew, like, establishes pretty early on that, you know, they'll pull the trigger. They're not fucking around. So to speak. Yeah. Pulling the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think they also, they they do a great job establishing Holly already as a, a badass, right? So... She, like, the whole premise of the reason she's out there and John has to come to her uh, is because she got this opportunity to move up in her company. She was doing such a great job that they moved her out to L.A. And he decided to stay in New York because he didn't think that she was going to make it. Talk about awful husband. Uh, didn't think that she yeah. was going to really do very well and she would be coming back. So why why move with her? Um, and of course she's rocking it in her job and everyone loves her and she's, you know, doing, you know, performing the way that they, they knew she would, uh, everyone knew she would, except for maybe John. Um, and so, you know, now he's forced to come back out there and just own up to the fact that, you know, he had no faith in her. That's really what this comes down to. It's not that he didn't find his family important or he valued his job more. It's the fact he didn't have faith in the woman he married to do 
a good job or be smart or be successful. Yeah. And I think it's probably also a little bit like, like you said, like this movie came out in the late eighties, like attitudes around career woman, women were way different. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. think about like now we still have a ways to go, but like definitely in the eighties, it's like you got to be wife and mother or you could have a Mm -hmm. career. Mm -hmm. And it was strange. I mean, this was the same time that we had movies like Mr. Mom coming out. Mm-hmm. That, was, that one came out in 83. So this one was only about five years after that, where um, uh, Michael Keaton plays the man who gets laid off and his wife goes back to work and he has to step in to be the, the parent in the house, the stay at home parent. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Working Girl was also coming out where it's all about single women uh, in the working world. So, yeah, you're right. And even even in the movie, Holly says, you know, she's gone back to her maiden name because she works for a Japanese company where married women might not be seen as someone to promote because they could leave at any minute. Whereas yeah. single women have a better chance of moving up the ladder. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, she's just, and she's like standing her ground, you know, her and her and John have like sort of the argument, like you can tell that they still love each other and they still care about each other. And like deep down, like it seems mo- both of them, want to find a way to make their marriage work mm-hmm. um but also neither of them are conceding any ground and her rightfully so like she she shouldn't concede any ground but yeah i i like she's just so fucking cool yeah i'm i'm a fan it was funny because i've been uh, since andre brower passed this past week um which you know rest in peace that yeah. man so, so sad. So funny and so good at what he did. Uh, I've been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I had not watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine since probably May 2020, quite honestly. Because um, around that time, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should be watching shows by cops. Um, but the <laughs> I've, I've gone back and watched some of the episodes that he was in. And I have gone back and, and finished the series. And I thought that they ended it very well. But uh, I, I went back and watched some of his key episodes. One of the key episodes is when Jake and Amy go on their honeymoon and Holt's been passed over for the promotion. Mm-hmm. And ends up also at the the resort where they're having their honeymoon. Yeah, and there's a scene towards the end where uh, he sort of like comes into their room to mope around, and Amy has dressed as Holly Gennaro. Yes, <laughs> so that Jake can have his fantasy. Yep, I forgot about that. And Jake's dress is Dewey from the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, so that Amy can have hers, which I just right. think is so delightful. <laughs> Two very different people, but yeah, so cute. I forgot about that. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk cops for a second. <laughs> cop talk. Yeah, um, cop talk. So another great character that gets introduced like pretty late into this movie is um, like one of the best TV dads of all time. Um. Reginald Val Johnson, mm-hmm. who was who was on Family Matters, also played a cop, but in this he plays Sergeant Al Pow, mm-hmm. um, a dad we, to be. Yes, a dad to be. We are introduced to him uh, when we see him buying donuts, quote quote fingers for mm-hmm. his pregnant wife, which maybe he is and maybe he isn't. <laughs> the The gas station clerk certainly doesn't seem to believe him. But he answers a call to go essentially do a quick check of the Nakatomi Plaza because Bruce Willis keeps, uh, or John McClane keeps 
you know, bouncing into the sort of the the dispatch feed, freaking out and saying they need to send police over. And they're very cavalier about it. Like, are you sure? <laughs> Is this a prank? Um. So, yeah, he rolls over there uh, to do a check. And he has been the thing that we learned about his character is that he's been desk jockeying for a while mm-hmm. um, because he had an incident. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, shot a kid. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is a big, a big deal. Well, at any time, but I don't mean to minimize, but like, you know, you think about now how we hear about stuff like this happening every, like every week, goddamn. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I just saw another one, uh, the a kid called 911 and ended up getting shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no charges were filed. Yeah, right. Of course. Um, but he, and, and you know, it was happening back then. Like it's been happening. It's it's not a new thing. It's just I think we're more aware of it. It's talked about more in the media. I think we as white people are more aware of shit like this happening now. But um, yeah, anyways, so he shot a kid um, and he sort of has just been working the desk since then. Um, and it's less about him getting punished and more about him sort of punishing himself and not feeling confidence in himself as a cop to have good instincts, to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't feel comfortable pulling his gun anymore because he is scared of, you know, he might make a mistake or an accident might happen. Gee, a conscientious cop. And then, of course, in the very, very final minutes of the movie, which I totally forgot about until I rewatched it. Um, one of the brothers, I it, it's either Tony or Carl. Uh, one of them is not dead. He he realives and has a machine gun and is aiming at John McClane when uh, Al pulls his gun and shoots him dead. Yeah, everyone, everyone ducks down and Al rises up and pulls his gun immediately and mm-hmm. takes the shot no hesitation mm-hmm. and you know what that's like another thing that i always say this like is a beautiful story of love and friendship between john mcclain and uh sergeant powell yeah you know we were talking earlier like we were talking during the love actually episode about the the romance that happens where they bear they've just met each other Mm-hmm. Um, and they've barely exchanged much information with one another. Um, that happens a lot in that movie, actually. Uh, ah, actually, uh, drink <laughs> anyway. Uh, but like very similarly, the the little bromance that happens between John McClane and Al Powell is very much just it's because they just met, but they have this bond. Yeah, and in a dire situation, granted. Yeah, and you can kind of tell they're both the same kind of cop. Hmm. Um, like they actually want to do good, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, the the deputy uh, Dwayne Robinson, played by Paul Gleason, who is one of my favorite nineteen eighties scumbag. Characters. Yeah, he's always a dickhead and everything. He's, he's in. always he's the principal in Breakfast Club. He's yeah, yeah, but yeah, they have this 
like lovely little bromance, you know, that um, Sergeant Powell opens up about like the incident to John. Um, and then like when they meet each other at the end, they like finally see each other face to face at the very end. It's just, mm-hmm. oh, it's such a cute moment. And they know of, each other. They know yeah. exactly who the other person is. God, it's such a cute fucking moment. I love it so much. <laughs> Well, and and at that same time, we also get the uh, reuni- reunion of John McClane and Argyle. Yes. Argyle, who is like literal ride or die. Like literal. <laughs> yeah. Like that kid could have like busted out of there the moment he saw shit going down. He could have been like, I'm not a part of this. But no, he waits. He helps. Like he, he bashes into that. Uh, what is it? They have like a, Oh, they have an emergency van that they're going to try to sneak out with all of the loot. Right. Right. Yeah. He runs into that to like, stop them. Like he, he does not, he's a real one. Yeah. So, um, for those who may not remember, Argyle is the limo driver that picks up John McClane at the airport and John McClane's kind of like surprised. Like, I don't think he expects a limo driver, but he gets one because Nakatomi probably sent it. And, Mm -hmm. um, so in the conversation, I, they set it up again, such smart screenwriting. They set it up so that you already have a sense of who Argyle is. It's his first mm-hmm. day driving a limo. And so the scene when they're driving down the street, John McClane is sitting in the front seat with him. And they're yeah, just having a conversation as opposed to, you know, the typical limo client who would be sitting in the back seat. So already, like, they're having this conversation. Argyle's, like, asking all the questions because he used to be a taxi driver. And he's like, mm-hmm. that's his M.O., and then when they get there, he was like, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to wait in the garage. You call me if you want me to bring the bags in. Like he's already that considerate and that invested in making sure that John gets what he needs. That it mm-hmm. makes total sense that he sticks around and helps out as the movie progresses. It's not just some kind of weird, like, well, I'm here anyway. Yeah. And that also gives him a reason to be there. Yes. That too. Yeah. And yeah, he's he's great. And yeah, they make friends. And I think also like the fact that John is sitting in the front seat tells you a lot about John's character. Like, yeah, he's, a he's, pretty, like, he's never been in a limo before either. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty like blue collar guy. Like, do would you call cops blue collar? Yeah, I think that a lot of cops would call themselves blue collar. Yeah. Yeah, he's very, he's blue collar. But yeah, Argyle is the fucking best. I know we're coming up on like the end. I guess, I guess I will take a moment to throw it to you. So not only are like the cops and the FBI kind of fucking things up, the news media fucks things up. Thank you. As a former journalist, this movie holds a special place in my heart as well. Yeah, I think, you know, and I know a lot of people like, criticize the media for like this and that i think news media and the free press is really important but i do think there are times where people are either chasing stories without considering the consequences of what they're publishing or what they're broadcasting and you honestly see this happen like time and time again especially with true crime cases where it's like Details of a case that shouldn't be made public are made public because, you know, the news doesn't give a shit uh, over, you know, the 
the case or, you know, justice or the investigations. Like they just care about having that big story, that big detail that's going to get them views, sell them papers, you know, get them clicks now. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Atherton, who is another sort of like, you see him pop up throughout like 80s and 90s movies, uh, playing dickheads. <laughs> he, <laughs> he plays one of the journalists. I think his name is Thornburg. He's also Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. He, he plays Thornburg. Uh, yeah. Who is a horrible journalist. <laughs> yeah. He literally, he does not give a shit. He goes as far as to like reveal the names of like John McClane and mm-hmm. like draws attention to like their family and their kids. Oh, he threatens their um, their babysitter with essentially deportation if she doesn't let him in to talk to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. He's horrible. But he's also a microcosm of what 1980s broadcast news was back then. Yeah. As is as is my favorite part is the anchor working who like, like they were talking about, oh yeah, like, oh, what was it? Helsinki. Like now we'll be going through Helsinki syndrome. He's like, that's in Sweden. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah it's it's not the phrase and also not the location mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah excellent good job yeah the the news media also fucking sucks in mm-hmm. this movie just everyone is sort of playing against john mcclain he's trying so fucking hard yeah yeah and also fun um cameo for me because i always think it's funny his assistant is played by tracy reiner who plays Betty Spaghetti in A League of Their Own. That's right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Kate. How do we how do we wrap this up? Mm, with a big explosion and getting all the hostages off the roof. <laughs> yeah. I feel I like say, I do want to share some some details about that final scene though, uh, with Alan Rickman. So, like we said, mm. Alan Rickman, it, this is his first film. He actually did injure himself. Uh, in fact, I think he jumps off of like a of a ladder at one point to talk to John McClane. So he um he ended up injuring his leg, I seem to recall. And then they go into that scene with Alan Rickman and Bruce Willis where you're kind of like, it's like, it seems really dumb for John not to realize that this is the guy, but he plays along, yeah. like, doesn't realize that he's talking to Hans. And so like Hans is pretending to be an employee who just like happened to escape the hostage situation. And the entire time you're like, no, John, John, you have to be smarter than this, John. Um, and of course <laughs> he is and everything. But what was cool about that was they actually didn't rehearse that very much at all. Um, they got their lines, they knew what they had to say, but they wanted it to be as, um, improv as possible. So it felt as awkward as it, as it is. Um, and it feels as off the cuff as it is. So I think that that's really interesting. The other thing is that when they're doing the stunt, what they did for the big fall at the end, because spoiler alert, Hans Gruber falls from the top of Nakatomi Plaza, mm-hmm. uh, or Nakatomi building. I don't think it's ever called Plaza, but anyway, um, <laughs> The stunt guys were like, okay, so we're, they had like rigged him. He was going to drop 40 feet into a bag, you know? Um, They're like, we are going to drop you on the count of three. And they had practiced it a couple of times. So he got used to it and he knew what was supposed to happen. So they do the scene and the final take that they did, they dropped him on two instead of three and they got his face. I love that. Bit in of shock. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a real reaction. I love that. Uh- I love that bit of trivia. 
Mm -hmm. There were a couple of things, like just the way that Alan Rickman's face works. They they had to like, the reason you never actually see him shoot a gun with the exception of once is because Alan Rickman would wince every time he had to do it Mm. because he's a gentle soul. Um, Yeah. Well, and it's still like, makes that noise and stuff it makes the noise yeah it's 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 jarring and even bonnie bedelia said that when they were filming the movie um she and alan rickman became really good friends they they would have lunch every day together and she was like he was just a lovely person so like also i think that that you know like for me i don't think i could ever shoot a gun Mm -hmm. maybe i'm I'm fooling myself but like i just like i you know like that that reaction that he would have that's the reason why they always cut away from him shooting a gun yeah. Um, because they couldn't deal with that. Very similar to uh, um, Laura Dern. Uh, they had to cut away from her face and yell at her during Star Wars because she kept making the pew pew sound. Yeah, the pew pew, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing a similar story about uh, Sebastian Stan um, filming The Winter Soldier when he was like doing his stuff with like uh, his stunts with like the knives and stuff which oh god he, yeah he he did and he learned how to do he would do the like swish, 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 like noises yeah. and they'd be like you don't have to do that <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in later don't worry yeah speaking of another celebrity crush sebastian stan i will also bring up as we close out roger ebert my my film nemesis yes guess what he didn't he, like this movie did he? he he did not like this movie and he said it was because like the big reason was the police chief because he said he was such a bad character he was a useless character he prevented the whole movie from working but that's the point (laughs) yeah roger however he did like the sequels and then sort of later changed his opinion about this movie i've only seen the first three diehard movies I have not seen any of the other ones, but I did hear that the series sort of goes downhill after that. You know, I will say from the look of the cast for Live Free or Die Hard, I would want to see it because it's got Mary Elizabeth Winstead and um, Kevin Smith's in it. And yeah, I, I would be interested based only on that. I think that, yeah, that I've heard the same thing. They they really just went downhill. And at this point, we'll, we'll never have another you know Die Hard just because... You know, Bruce Willis is no longer acting. Unfortunate, but he did have mm-hmm. an amazing career and brought us mm-hmm. a lot of joy. I like Die Hard 2, even though there's parts of the movie that really depresses me. And I, I really like Die Hard 3 because... I've heard that. I've heard that people tend to like Die Hard 3 more than 2. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Um, Jeremy Irons is the big villain. Graham Greene's in it. Um it's it's good. I would say watch that one. You you could, I mean, of those three movies, you don't necessarily need to have seen the prior ones to be able to enjoy the next one. So like, you could definitely skip two and go to three. Gosh, I really uh, didn't talk about Alan Rickman as much in this episode as I probably could have. I will say I was gonna, um, to back up for a second, uh, going back just really quick to the part where he and John meet face to face Hans and John meet face to face for the first time and Alan or sorry Hans Gruber is trying to pretend like he's just another hostage yes and he does his sort of American accent he does like no no you're one of them like it's so funny um well and he gives it up pretty fast he does Um, 
It, like, but his American accent is very funny. And then also his like German accent is like really funny. Like you almost can't tell it's German because he still sounds like Alan Rickman. He still has like the nasal throaty, uh, the British accent. I know his like accents have in this movie have sort of been like, they're not very good, but it's fine. <laughs> We love him. And by a we, I mean I. No, we both do. I mean, yeah. I the fact that they, they cast him because the director and the screenwriter, I believe, had seen him in a production of Dangerous Liaisons as the Vicomte. Mm-hmm. And that was when they were like, that's our Hans Gruber. Which, oh, speaking of, we're, we need to fucking do Cruel Intentions next year. Yes, we will definitely be doing that as well as the original Dangerous Liaisons, which I love the film, the original movie with Glenn Close. Yeah. It's been, like, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. I it, like I was so obsessed with uh, Cruel Intentions. I watched Dangerous Liaisons and I watched Valmont, which is another version. That's another version. And then I would even say that Saltburn has a major feel of Dangerous Liaisons. Um, I, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's all coming in the new year, but we've still got one more episode to go this year. And we're thinking that it will be, I believe our 50th. I could be wrong, but we're thinking we're going to do a special new year's uh, watch uh, edition. So uh, stay tuned for that. If we decide not to do that, then uh, we're sorry. Uh Yeah. (laughs) It but might we'll be pretty be back in the new year with more episodes. But yeah, in the meantime, thanks for joining us this year and this holiday season, our first holiday season for the podcast where we got to talk about Christmas movies. Um, it's been very fun chatting with you guys on the socials and seeing your opinions and the things that you like and sharing memes. And speaking of, you, if you aren't already following us on the Meads, we are at SP Cinema Club on both Instagram and twitter x whatever that'll be changing we keep saying that we just gotta do it yeah maybe maybe it'll be a new year thing new year new me new platform yeah i like it but anyway remember to uh rate subscribe uh invite your friends everyone's welcome at the slumber at the slumber party and merry christmas guys we'll see you next time bye bye